Hi everyone, before we get started, I wanted to share that this episode does mention suicide. If for whatever reason that topic is not for you, please feel free to skip it. And also I wanted to share the National Prevention Lifeline can be reached at 800-273-8255. Thanks. Hi everyone, this is Brooke James. Welcome to The Grief Coach. If it is your first time listening, I'm so glad to have you. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Today, we have with us Beth Duckles. Beth, thank you so much for being here today. Hmm, Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. If you could introduce yourself, tell us your grief story so the audience can get to know you a little better. Sure. That's a great question to introduce myself. So I'm I'm a researcher. (laughs) A lot of my story has actually had to do with leaving academia, but I'll tell tell a bit of my grief, grief story right now and then we can go into any more of it. It was nine years ago in January, it was 2012. And my mom and I were on vacation together. We were in the Bay area and we were visiting some friends. We just had a really lovely dinner. Actually, it was, it was the night before we'd had this just lovely chill out with some old friends. And then the next morning, my mom woke up and she had a really bad headache. And a few hours later, she was in a coma. She had a brain aneurysm and it just moved so quickly that she was brain dead pretty much later that day. Incredibly unexpected. She was a volunteer for the Peace Corps, but she at the time was working for Peace Corps. So she was back home in the States to do some visiting with people. And so it was a huge, huge shock to my system. It was a huge shock to everything for me. And at the time I was doing research in Washington, DC and ended up starting down this path of really shifting pretty much everything in my life. I was a professor at a university, uh, assistant professor, and ended up leaving my position. Eventually it took me a number of years (laughs) and moving across the country and changing up quite a lot about my life. In a lot of ways, I think my mom would have liked that. I mean, I think she would have liked being a catalyst for me. (laughs) She was sort of that kind of person. I I did a lot of writing as well, kind of moved into some creative nonfiction and some storytelling as well as a way of processing and working through a lot of the grief. Tried a bunch of other jobs and things out too before I kind of settled on doing some freelance work, which is what I do now. It's been a ride. I ended up because I moved to Portland, Oregon from the East Coast I also got hooked up with the Dougie Center, which is a center for grieving families and children. And that has been incredibly healing and impactful and to be a volunteer there too. So yeah, that's the basic outlines of my grief story. (laughs) Thank you. Lots to dig into, but I would love first if we can talk about that this loss was a catalyst for you as it is for so many people. I think when you lose someone and you're in I think stars need to align a little bit that you get into this headspace of realizing the fragility of life and that Mm -hmm. you may want to change some things up. So if you can talk a little bit about that process for you, I had a very similar thing happen Mm -hmm. with me and I can talk more about it. People who've listened have heard me talk about it, but Mm -hmm. would love to hear your experience there and some of the perspective you got in making that change. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so common because, you know, I mean, literally she was full and healthy and whole one minute. And then a few minutes later was not, I mean, it was so quick. And, you know, I think there was a lot of grace that I got to be able to be in the hospital with her, 
and to have the whole transition, I, I grew to understand the more I kind of got, have gotten into the grief community, the more I've understood that I was sort of a midwife for her death, which they talk about in hospice because there, you know, somebody's dying, but with an unexpected death, it's like not expected that I would be this midwife. Right. I didn't plan on that. You know, it wasn't what yeah. I, what I set up for. And you know, I did my best to be in it as best I could and to really kind of be with her as we were going through all of this. But I think that in itself is really transformative because you stop thinking that I have for the, for the couple of years right after her death, I had zero tolerance for, for chit chat. Like I just didn't have the capacity to like pretend we were talking about nothing. Like it couldn't, it was like, why would I spend my time doing that? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many bigger things in the world to do. And I remember like several times having experiences with people where I just didn't know how to get out of like the chit chatty thing. And it was exhausting too. I mean, I was really, there was a lot of tiredness in my grief. I think different yeah. people have different experiences, but I, I would sleep for like 13 hours. I would have these just incredible long nights. Cause I just couldn't, I couldn't do stuff that everybody else thought was like really normal. I remember I had this one experience in DC. I was, I was living in DC some, and I was commuting sometimes I was doing some research in DC and I was commuting a little bit to to Pennsylvania and I came out of a Metro stop, right? So, so out of the subway station and I come up out of the thing and there's a man who greets me and he seems like really sincere and he says, hi, I'd love to talk with you. And I was like, wow, hi. And we start talking and he's telling me about save the children or some organization like that. And he showed me a picture and he was like, do you know this little kid? And it was something my mom had a lot of beliefs about. Like she had a lot of opinions about, you know, pe- people going to other countries. And so I just burst right into tears as soon as he shows me this picture of this child, right? And so I walked away from him, you know, and I'm sure he's used to that. He's the kind of person who's trying to solicit people all the time. But I remember it was like, there would be these things that would just come up in my life that would just shift everything. And I couldn't function the way that I normally functioned in the world. And so, I mean, I think what that did for me, that kind of catalyzing what that did was it had me go back and question everything. And my brother was a good, he already knew that I was struggling with some of the things about my teaching position he knew me really well and does know me really well and and was another catalyst basically saying like Beth this is a chance for you to kind of think of new things I struggled pretty hard in part because I really I struggled against the loss of her I really wanted her and I still want her to be here you know there are things that have happened in this past year where I'm like mom I'd love to talk to you about this you know Mm But I've also grown to understand that part of the reason why it hurt so much was because I loved her so much um, and because we were each other's person. I mean, we, we understood each other. And as much as we didn't always see eye to eye, like we got each other. We, 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 were, we were one another's person. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something that you mentioned about that you couldn't do small talk mm-hmm. um, because I had a similar experience. And I think a lot of people listening have that experience people would not maliciously be like oh what are you doing this weekend and I would be like taking out the box for my dad's ashes that we're burying I'm doing terribly like thank you for asking (laughs) and then I'm gonna go to Pilates (laughs) and um and I think that it's really interesting that you said that so early on because I had a similar experience and one thing I noticed, and I'm interested if you've seen this in some of the grief work that you've done and writing you've done, is that I noticed, because people would be like, what do you do? I have a business, I have a podcast. 
no one ever asked about the business. People always what's the podcast? Like, oh, it's about grief. And so many people, we would just skip small talk completely, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting because I think so many people are looking for an opening to speak about that. Did you find that when you would share because you didn't want to deal with small talk? So I don't know if you did this, but if you did share what was going on that people wanted to dig more into it because there are so few openings to talk about things like that. It goes either way. I think it goes and it's it's not in between, right? So it's either I'll say something and I have a sole person to connect with for life, right? And it's happened several times where I was just like, you know, yeah, it's a really hard day today. This is my mother's birthday and she died, you know, X number of years ago. And the person will be like, oh my gosh. And then they'll show up. And then we have a deep connection and I have a a way to be with them, you know, Mm -hmm. but I have also had dear friends who had no idea what to do and frankly lost some friendships in the process of it because they were so unable to cope with my loss and with how gutted and heartbroken I was. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I think it was hard to ask anybody to be there with me. I was not great sometimes you know I was kind of a mess I talk about one of my stories but I kind of just totally lost it when a printer cartridge exploded like lost it like lost my shit just excuse me for the I I just you can swear you can swear (laughs) absolutely sobbing on the floor because the printer cartridge exploded but I think like if somebody can be with me in those places, they can kind of be with me wherever. And I did even have some friends who couldn't always be there with me, but they could like, they could kind of know they couldn't. And they were just like, you know what, Beth, I love you. I will distract you, you know, or I'll, they'll come up with something else that they could do for me, that they could just share their love or care about me with. And those, those are kind of my friends for life and heartfelt. But I think you're right. You know, you, I do have those experiences where I've, I've sat down or I've said something, or I just couldn't pretend that it wasn't horrible right in that moment. My big joke was, it's not really even a joke, but people would ask me how I was. And I would be like, yeah. And I would just I say did that yes. too. I did that. I didn't too. answer anything. I would just say yes, because I was like, I'm saying yes to the fact that you asked me that question. <laughs> I would do like, obviously before pandemic, like out at an event, whatever in New York and people would be like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long. How are you doing? And I'd be like, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and they would answer and then be like, how are you doing? And it's like, no, I was trying to not answer you. Like get a clue. Like like, there's a reason I did that. And I think we do that because A, it's like, sometimes you don't want to like break down in public, like not Mm -hmm. ideal. And then other times I think, or at least for me, like sometimes I'm nervous that people are going to not be like, and like, or even like sometimes with the podcast, like single and people, I don't want like guys to be like, oh, she's like a girl who talks about death. Like, Mm -hmm. but I do. So like, it doesn't, you know, it's just so interesting of like how different people have different reactions to it. And I think that's because so many people are not used to talking about it. So when someone does, they're either like, yes, or like, what is going on here? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we are also as a society, not very well prepared to talk about it. And I mean, I think we're hearing that in the pandemic. That's one of the big challenges is that there is so much grief and so much loss. And once you start to kind of understand what grief is and how it manifests, for me, it's like a masterclass. Losing my mother is like a masterclass in what grief looks like in the larger world. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize like, oh, part of the reason why people are in such pain 
grief over the loss of a job, grief over the loss of a life they thought they could have, like grief over the loss of people who move away, even if you, you know, you miss your friendships, you miss the life that you had. It's a different kind of grief, but that grief has so much like solidity to it. <laughs> and it's That's because you loved, yeah. like it's because you loved someone or something or some way that you were. Yeah. And it gets at the, like, we as a society think of like things we love will be permanent as long as we want them to be. Right. And that we have the autonomy to make them permanent and masterclass I think a great way to put it of when you lose a large one it mm -hmm. is like slashes that to smithereens that that mm -hmm. is not what happens but for people who haven't dealt with that it's really confusing and I had a guest on a few weeks ago Noah James and we talked about that because we had gone through a loss we felt better prepared to deal with this do you yeah. find that in your experience with the pandemic? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, for the pandemic, I, I can identify loss more. I also think I can show up for people a lot better than I used to. Not that I was bad at it, but when people have lost, um, like I have a I have a friend who lost a child very young, a, a very young child, another friend who lost a parent, a couple of friends who've lost parents, even people who've lost, you know, pets, like the immediacy and the grief of it and the way that it feels, I know how to show up for it. And I know that also showing up for it feels is different than just the, I'm sorry for your loss. And the first like two days after the loss, like to my mind, what's much more important is to show up three months later and be like, Hey, I love yeah. you. How's it going? Mm -hmm. What can I, what do you need? What can I do to be there for you? do you want to talk about the person? Like, you know, because I found like people would avoid me and avoid talking about my mom. <laughs> I was like, no, I actually want to talk about her, yeah. even if it's hard because I miss her and I want to hear how you saw her. And I want to hear not always, but there is a desire to, to know how she was known through other people and how much I, and to be with people who loved her as much as I did. A hundred percent. Maybe we can talk about some advice for people on how to do that. Cause a lot of, I call them grief adjacent, which is a term I stole from Nora McInery in her book, mm -hmm. which I don't know if she came up with it or she got it from somewhere else. Anyway, that when people like, they think it's going to be a really big deal to talk mm -hmm. about grief. And one of my dad's friends who I've known since I was a baby, he texted me, my dad loves lobster. And he was having lobster with his family a few months ago and texting a picture and was like, this always makes me think of your dad, like, hope you're doing good. And that was it. And it's like, mm -hmm. it can just be that. It yeah. doesn't need to, like, it can be a three hour heart to heart, but it yeah. doesn't have to be. And I think that's confusing. And I was yeah. wondering if you had any other advice on how people could show up in a way that is authentic, but not scary. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, people have sent me pictures of them with my mom, which is really fun because often they're pictures I don't see or haven't seen. So those are really fun. One of her, her friends sent me this awesome picture of my mom, like smoking a cigarette and looking all badass in her like teen year, her twenties years. And I was like, totally a picture of my mom I hadn't seen before, which I love. Cool. Um, and then a, a friend of the family was cleaning out her closet and found a piece of pottery that she had bought with my mom. I kind of knew my mom liked that kind of pottery, but I hadn't seen this particular egg cup. And so she sent it to me and it was this really sweet kind of note with just like a, I love you. I'm thinking of you, that kind of thing. 
And I don't, I mean, gifts are not gifts. I mean, even just memories are really lovely too. You know, there's a picture that got taken of my mom, one of her dearest friends and me right before she died. It's kind of a crazy thing, but she had a whole bunch of things happen right before she died where she saw kind of a bunch of folks that she loved. And so this particular one was just this story where this, this goofy picture and we're all laughing in it and it's got so much love in it. And so it pops up every time on Facebook and I'm always like, yes, let's show that one because it's beautiful. It's my mom, you know, it's, it's her brightness. It's her light. It's all the things I love about her in the picture. And that's the part I want to keep alive. You know, I'm heartbroken and sad because of so much that she brought to the world. And so I want to know, you know, a couple of her, of her volunteers in the Peace Corps have also kept in touch with me, which is super fun. And so I'll get updates from them about whatever they're up to in the world. And that's kind of a hoot too. They'll just let me know what their life is like. And I know that her influence on them is part of her light as well. That part's lovely too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people get concerned that they're going to make you sad. Mm. And it's like, no, I think about them all the time. Like, <laughs> I'm already sad, dude. Like, and even if you make me cry, it's a release most of the time. It's, it's a new way of seeing my mom. You know, it's a new way of me getting to care about her in, in a way. Yeah. I, I suppose more troubling for me was when I first started crying because I saw that guy from Save the Children instead. You know, I mean, like that was a little bit more embarrassing than like, my mom's best friend or something talking to me like that's totally fine if I cry with my mom's best friend but like same right. thing, dude like maybe I should not you know be tearing up or whatever yeah. but maybe you're not the first and it's okay <laughs> yeah, maybe it's okay it's totally okay right right um <laughs> so I'd love to hear you talk more about I've read a couple of pieces you've written that you're a wonderful writer and mm -hmm. I, I'll put them in the show notes so people mm -hmm. who are interested can take a peek but would love to hear about how you've used writing to process. Was there anything that surprised you? And if you want to talk about any of the pieces you wrote. Yeah. So two major pieces that I wrote, one was published narratively and it's called Two Suicides That Changed My Life. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a braided story about my mother's death. And then in the story, it starts with me watching somebody walk off the Bay Bridge, um, the old Bay Bridge, not the new one. Mm. I just happened to be driving across the Bay Bridge and I happened to watch somebody who decided it was time to end their life and who walked off the bridge. And it was years before my mother passed, but because of the way things worked with my mother's ending, you know, death, we ended up having to cross over that same bridge while she was in an ambulance to get her to another hospital to look at the brain aneurysm. And so the bridge itself for me has a lot of emotion and has a lot of feelings in it. Mm -hmm. In the story, I kind of weave together this discussion of this challenge of, of me seeing and witnessing somebody's suicide. And then also the suicide of my mother's mother. So my grandmother and the fact that my mom never really talked about it in her life and the challenges that she faced with having also in her own way witnessed my grandmother's suicide. Mm -hmm. You know, the process of writing that for me was very much like pulling at strings and trying to organize and make sense of all these different pieces. And I think a lot of my writing, um, what ended up happening is that I would have these little snippets of writing or snippets of pieces that I needed to kind of make sense of and organize. and 
writing felt like a really cathartic way to try and make sense of the, the, the visuals that I had and the things that kept kind of unearthing themselves for me. Mm-hmm. The other piece that, so there's, there's, there's probably two pieces that you might want to share. The second one was called cervix, which was after my mother passed, I ended up moving out to Portland and then ended up having some abnormal cells on my cervix, which meant that they had to do some surgery. It was a really supposedly like a routine surgery, which turned out to be a more of a big deal than, than we thought it would be. And it was the first time I was back in hospital settings since the time that I'd seen my mother pass, which would have been this, you know, hospital setting. That story also was another one of those things. It's very much a braided narrative because there's all these little pieces and like snippets of what my experience was that felt like I was trying to make sense of them and to make, to pull them together. And for me, a lot of the healing in writing was seeing the, the ways that the story kept continuing, even when I didn't think it was, mm-hmm. and that her, my loss, you know, my, in the first story my mother's, you know, grief over her mother continued my entire life. And my grief over my mother's death continued over years past her death, you know? And so, so grief is really not a static thing. It's a kind of thing that we, we have in our bodies. It's something that kind of moves through us and has, a lot of expression um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of different ways of expressing. That second story, the cervix story, I ended up doing a project for StoryCorps where I did a conversation with that doctor who did the procedure with me, who's now a friend actually, and and, and such an amazing woman. But she she read that story then after we'd had this, this difficult cervical procedure and I asked her how it was. I was like, what is it like for you to have listened, read this story? And she said, Beth, it is so weird. She's like, I didn't know all those things about you. Like I had no way to know about your life and that you'd lost your mother or anything like that. And I had no way to know that there was all these pieces that were coming together and that this, this thing that we were experiencing together was like so, so much, had so much behind it. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a really neat kind of, discussion, because I think that's another part too. We're so much more connected than we think we are. And grief really does connect to others. You know, Mm -hmm. we're in a village or larger than a village, you know, where I live, but we're all connected, you know, grief, my grief affects other people, even if they don't know that it affects them. You know, this man who, who walked off a bridge affected me, even though I'd never met him before. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you talk about that it's a braided narrative. And I think that as a larger concept, as you were saying, it just becomes part of you. Mm-hmm. And it, for most people, changes how they move through the rest of their life. Absolutely. Yeah. Were you always a writer? Or even like a journaler? Did you journal? Like- yeah. It's funny. Yes. So, I mean, I was an academic. And so you write a lot as an academic, but mm-hmm. you train yourself in a very specific style of writing. And I had to really consciously choose to do more poetic and, and more kind of, because poetry was the only thing that I could do to explain some of the emotions. I couldn't explain there's a part where I feel the loss of my mother's presence in the world. Yeah. And that isn't easy for me. I mean, I'm a social scientist, so I could tell you what happened, my breath quickened, et cetera, but that isn't going to give you the sense of her not being here. Something about her loss and the choice to start moving into some of this creative nonfiction meant that I had to really contend with 
my need to be more creative. And that's really one of the things she's been a huge catalyst for in my life. I do more writing. I do more storytelling. I do fiber arts. I do a lot of knitting and crocheting and stuff like that. But all of that artistic stuff, some of it was there before, but it was a lot more hidden. And now I just don't even pretend I don't do that. It's all part of my life. And why would I pretend that I don't do all those things? Because we're on this planet for such a short period of time anyway. There's there's not enough time for me to pretend I don't do all the things I do. So yeah. And it's such a wonderful reminder to all of us to meet people listening like that it's too fragile to pretend but I think very normal and want to underscore for people listening that when you get this experience that shakes your core and Mm -hmm. your being and your foundation most of the time that it does become more and more normal to want to make big life changes and what you do for work, and how you spend your time, and who you spend time with, like, Mm -hmm. that that's all very normal. I think a lot of people who listen, or just experience grief, period, but specifically to people who listen, I get emails often that people are like, no one else was talking about this. I didn't know if this feeling was normal, Mm -hmm. and so want to just go on that little monologue to tell people that it's normal normal. (laughs) but I also think a lot of people who go through a loss realize how much it does shake you and end up either getting involved in grief work starting communities online but also volunteering and I would love to hear about your work at the Ducky Center yeah yeah what that's like yeah Dougie Center is great. I was just going to bring that all up because I think being in a place where people will talk honestly about death and not shy away from the fact that it happened, you know, they're just present with it is so huge. So the Dougie Center is a center here in Portland and they do groups for children and families who have lost someone. So it can either be um, a parent or it can be a, a kid in the family or a sibling. I'm just a volunteer. So I will say I don't represent the Dougie Center. I'm just a volunteer with the Dougie Center, but I've been doing it for a number of years since I, a few years. So maybe like two or three years, something like that when I got here into Portland. And they're just such a neat center because they're really focused on what the kids need to engage with and experience their emotions around whatever the the death is. And so it's almost always like play therapy. So they're often going into play I shouldn't say therapy because it's actually just they play and then you're with them and you can play with them. Mm-hmm. So that's great for me as a volunteer because I get to just go play with kids when it's not COVID times right now. We, we're not doing anything in person. But what I have found so powerful about the Dougie Center is kids are amazing. Kids are such good teachers about loss because they are so matter of fact about it. Mm -hmm. And so they'll just as easily talk to you about how much of a loss it is that their, their friend moved away. And in addition to the loss of their parent, you know, Mm -hmm. or their, their sibling, and they, they'll talk about what's important to them, which right in that moment is what is important to them. And really when I was mentioning grief is in our bodies and as adults, we like to pretend that we don't have really bodies or that our bodies aren't really important, or it's only important when I'm going to the yoga studio or whatever, Um, (laughs) do not have that. Like, they're just like, it's in their body and they will wiggle and move and they call it big energy at the Dougie center. And so you can see these kids being like, just needing to like move their bodies so that they can move through whatever is going on with them. And I learned so much from that. And I feel so privileged to get to be with somebody as they do like a five minutes of punching in a punching bag and then they're done 
and they need to move to the next thing. And all my job is there is to be like, wow, you really punched on that. And whatever they need to say about that is what they say about it. Mm -hmm. Or some will want to draw pictures or some will want to, um, you know, they have a room in there, which has got a sand sandbox. And so they'll want to bury things because they experienced Mm. and remembered their, their parent or their loved one being buried. So they might want to bury a bunch of stuff. And so maybe one day it's burying like Tyrannosaurus Rex and it's a burying a thing. And then they might pull out the skeleton and bury the skeleton. Or they might want to do trains and you don't know what the trains are about, but you're there with them with the trains. And then maybe a year, two years, three years later, you find out that that was what their person used to do with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't always know, but you really trust the kids to, to, to go where they need to go. And that's another part that I find so beautiful. It's, I don't always, I felt like I needed a structure to go through in my grief, right? I yeah. needed somebody to tell me how to grieve. And mm-hmm. what I love about the Dougie Center is they're like, we don't know. You tell us, what do you need? And you, you say that to kids, which room do you want to go to? Which, which place do you want to play in? Which part do you want to work on right now? And so for me, my play that helped me move through a lot of this was talking to, I had therapy and then I also had writing, Mm -hmm. but it could just as well be anything else. It could, I did a lot of walking too, but maybe you're the kind of person who needs to skip rocks or you need to be the person who, you know, punches a punching bag or whatever the thing is that like works for you in terms of that grief. I've learned a bunch. I, also, the Dougie Center has a bunch of things that I've learned from them around not asking people how they're doing. <laughs> you say, yeah. hey, it's really great to see you when you see somebody. And that mm-hmm. also has been really cathartic to be like, yeah, I hated that question too. And everybody asked me, how's it going, yeah. Beth? I'm like, yeah, you asked me that question. <laughs> well, and it's so funny because as Americans, I'm fine. People don't even like expect you to answer they yeah. like say it as part of a greeting mm-hmm. and it's like, just don't do that <laughs> and, <laughs> um, was there anything else specifically I like to ask and if not nothing comes to mind that's fine that people said that they thought was helpful that wasn't helpful like the loaded how are you Yeah, the the pity in the face was really kind of (laughs) annoying, especially if I was having a good day. I think that's one of the things that's really hard to convey. I I remember somebody losing a friend of mine before my mom passed away. She lost her son. It was tragic. And the community kind of came around her and was like, we're supporting her. And I saw her a few weeks later. And she said to me, she said, Beth, you know, would it be okay if we just were like happy for a little while and enjoyed ourselves? And I felt like that a lot too, because it's, you know, you'd see people and you would know that they would want to have you do this performance of whatever grief thing. And truthfully, I was in grief. So it wasn't like, I wasn't sad, but like, sometimes you just want to be happy. Like sometimes you just want to go do something fun. You know how short life is. You'd really like to have a margarita or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I think what is hard for people who haven't experienced it is that the two feelings can coexist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of the grief that was the most cathartic was like laughing until you peed your pants about something that mom did or like getting honestly kind of drunk with somebody about like whatever. And then just hearing a crazy story about what she was like or what she'd done or something wild. You know, I mean, this is weird to say, but it is true that grief is not always like 
crying in your bedroom. It is crying in your bedroom, but it isn't always. Like grief mm-hmm. is also laughing hysterically at a joke. My brother and I had a hilarious times. We had to sell all of her stuff, which is in storage lockers in Oklahoma, which is also pretty funny because Oklahoma is not the place we would have anticipated selling most of her stuff. She's not really from Oklahoma. So we just had these hilarious stories of people coming to this, like this, we're, we're selling her stuff and we, we, you know, her books and somebody's trying to talk to us about Jesus. And, and I mean, the whole thing was, it was like a hoot, and, but it was hilarious to us because we know our mother and we know like, and we missed her and we thought it was yeah. hilarious. And she would have found it hilarious too. She would have found it really funny. Yeah. And I think that's the thing of knowing that the person you're missing would have found yeah. funny. And sometimes it's a dark funny, but yeah. like, it's yeah. still funny. Yeah. It's still funny. Absolutely. Dark funny is still funny. It's true. Absolutely. Sometimes the most. It depends. You know? <laughs> and I'm trying to think, is there anything else that was on our list to talk about? I'll talk about one more thing. So I was really lucky to get through the Dougie Center that they did the, the StoryCorps project for the Road to Resilience. And I can give you that link too, which yes. is super yes. cool. I became a facilitator for the StoryCorps program, which was such an honor to li- listen to kids talking with their parents or their caregivers about somebody that they lost. And one of them ended up on NPR and it's this beautiful story. It's really, very really sweet. And just such an honor to be in the room with somebody with, with a, you know, it was in this case, it was a father and his daughter talking about their mother and really just being, you know, honest about how hard the things were for them and what it was like to, to grow up and to try and put together one's life or, or to, to, to still feel connected to your mother when when you, you remembered certain parts, but not all. So anyway, it's a beautiful story. Definitely recommend it and um, super honored. And it's there's a, there's a number of other stories too that are really wonderful in the Road to Resilience project. So I definitely recommend those. Yeah, I'll definitely put those in the show notes. And I think it's so interesting you say that because one of the like platitudes that people share is time will help. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like on one hand it does, but on the other hand, you then have to build this life without this person who like you thought would be there not forever, but for longer than they were. And to do that building, because sometimes you just want to be like my brother always says he wants to talk to my dad about, they talk about politics a lot. So like with the Mm -hmm. elections and like the Mm -hmm. insurrection, like he's Mm -hmm. like, I wish I could call dad. And for me, it's like with work stuff, like I always want to like, and to not be able to do that and to have to keep going and like people mm-hmm. are like they're still with you and it's like right but it's not the same it isn't. so like you try to find comfort where you can but I think that rebuilding story and concept is really an important one for people to give space and grace to mm-hmm. I mean I think grief doesn't ever leave you. You never get through it, get through it as if there was something to get through. Like grief is love. Grief is that I loved her and I want to keep having her in the world. And then I'm still sad that she's not here to talk to about, about all the things that have happened. I just moved into a new house. I would love to have her over. I think of her all the time as I'm thinking of placing things. I'm, I, I caught myself being like, oh, when mom comes to visit, right? Uh-huh it's nine years. You would think that I would be through this, but I don't think it's going to go away, to be honest with you. I mean, the point of it for me is like, yeah, I loved her. She loved me. I would have loved to have her in my life still. I know there's, 
in my own way of thinking that she's still present in her own way, but mm-hmm. I miss her on this earth the way she was. And that's mm-hmm. not going to stop because I, I really, I really loved her. So, and to love her now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so relatable. We all feel like that, like mm-hmm. about our people who we love, but it is an important reminder that like grief is love. Mm-hmm. It's a hard truth to to swallow (laughs) it is it is it is it is and and because I've loved so much and because I've loved so deeply that's why this hurts so much yeah yeah I'm not gonna stop loving (laughs) no no nor should that be the expectation but I think like often the people who haven't experienced it so they just don't know and like you try not to fault Mm -hmm. them for not knowing but that like it doesn't ever go away and that that's okay it is okay yeah yeah yeah. I really loved this conversation today thank you so much for being here I am glad we got introduced and I'm excited to share your writing I'll put it in the show notes and if people are interested in finding more about you where should they go online Yeah, I have a website, bestduckles.com. Duckles like chuckles, but with a D. And I'm also on Twitter. I don't know if you want to see my Twitter stuff, but I sometimes put pictures up of like my spinning and knitting and stuff. So, but yeah, happy to have to connect with folks and my ratings all up there. Storytelling. I've done some onstage storytelling too. So yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Brooke. This what a gift that you're offering to give a conversation that's real about grief. That's so oh my god, that's so nice. So I think I told you this when the first time we started talking, I was so frustrated that no one knew how to talk about it, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I'll just tell them. Awesome. (laughs) Nobody knows how to talk about it. I will start that conversation. That's great. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find us online at www.thegriefcoach.co and on social at the underscore grief coach. If you like the podcast, please leave a nice review, nice reviews only on Apple Podcasts, five stars. It helps other people looking for this type of content find us and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.